0: And you see it with some of those lead generation
1: companies or people that pay-per-click certain terms, and that's unsustainable. That's Jay Kelly, managing partner of renowned Ohio personal injury firm Elk & Elk.
0: You are measuring an ROI that is so transactional and finite that it can't survive. If you can build a brand, that will lift all of those transactional approaches that you make. So instead of starting at the goal line, you get to start at the 10 yard line or the 50 yard line, the shorter you have to go to get a positive ROI.
1: I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp Video, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. I sat down with Jay Kelly to discuss what it takes to establish a strong brand identity, as well as building a business that stands the test of time, and... What it means to carry on a law firm's legacy. This is a very risky business, but at the end of the day,
0: you've got to bet on yourself. You got to bet on your business, and you got to reinvest,
1: reinvest, reinvest. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Jay Kelly is the managing partner of Elk and Elk, one of the largest and best-known personal injury firms in the state of Ohio. Jay has come a long way in his career as a trial attorney, but he got his start in a rather unexpected way.
0: I got into the practice of law on a whim of sorts in college. I met a visiting professor out who was from the Abbey Theater in Ireland, Vincent Dowling. And he convinced me to take an acting class. And I absolutely loved the presentation aspect. And he was all about persuasion through acting. So it was how do you stand, how do you communicate, tempo, everything. And it was my favorite class I took in college. I then took a second Shakespearean styles of acting class within the second semester. And I was committed that I was going to do something where persuasive speaking was a part of it. And that's what led me to law school. You know, then this practice, I wanted to be a trial attorney. And that I knew for sure. I ended up going into the prosecutor's office in summit county ohio which is akron and i was fortunate enough because i'd been in the courthouse working as a clerk that they hired me straight into the felony division and you know it was a one of those funny stories where they offered me a job in the civil division and i did not have a job my wife did not have a job we had about enough money to last an hour and a half in our accounts And I turned them down. I said, for me, it's the felony division or, or bust. They called back two days later and I started on a Monday. The next Monday, I tried my first case by myself to a jury. And it was because my trainer, she called me on Sunday night at home back when we had landlines, said she wasn't feeling well. She's like, why don't instead of watching jury selection, why don't you pick the jury? And so I got ready to pick the jury Monday morning. She called and said, I'm too sick. I can't try this case. And so I tried an aggravated arson case by myself in my second week after being sworn in. And it was fantastic. It was not a difficult case, wasn't a Rubik's cube. I had an eyewitness who saw him pour gasoline on the porch and he was arrested with an empty gas can a mile away. But it was still one of the most exciting and exhilarating things, you know, in my life. And then I progressed from that. I was a prosecutor for a period of time. Then I did some criminal defense. Then I progressed to civil defense. And then now 19 years ago, I jumped over to the plaintiff's side. So I am one of those rare people who can say, I've tried a criminal case and a civil case from both perspectives, you know, to a jury and I've loved every perspective.
1: Now, there's trial attorneys, and then there's the Jake Kellys of the world that are getting these seven and eight figure verdicts. I recently read you got your voted lawyer of the year, I think in the medical malpractice category in Cleveland. You've been consistently awarded like some of the, you know, the best lawyers in America. And not I'm not, not talking about the super lawyers. I'm not talking about those awards, I'm talking about the, le- the legitimate ones. But what do you believe that you do differently?
0: I think the greatest skill that I bring to a courtroom is I listen. You know, I do find myself to be, you know, very patient, you know, before I act or take an approach. But I work up a case from both sides. I utilize those four different perspectives that I've tried cases from in every case. So when I look at a civil case on the plaintiff side, I start working it up as if I was the defense attorney. Then I look at the plaintiff issues. And as I start to prepare a defense, I bring in some of the criminal aspects as well. A lot of lawyers are married to transcripts or are married to forms and their litigation protocols. Criminal law requires you to listen, use facts and common sense to create persuasion. So I think I combine all of my life experiences, as everybody does, you know, and for me it works. And I am in a courtroom the exact same personality that I am right here or socially with you because I think if you can't be trusted you won't be trusted so I think it's critical to be yourself someone shouldn't try to be me I shouldn't try to be Mark Lanier or John Morgan you have to be your your best
1: version of yourself in order to communicate and connect For Jay, remaining true to himself led him down a challenging yet rewarding path. I asked Jay to dive deeper into how he ended up focusing primarily on complex, often resource-intensive medical malpractice cases. So you want to do something that matters to you.
0: And for me, there is nothing more gratifying than seeing a tangible change that you've contributed to someone else's life and i know that sounds goofy or kind of like almost like a fortune cookie but for me i actually get to see a family that sits and faces a fear whether it be economic or medical uncertainty and you get to try and resolve those for them and then for decades i get to remain connected with those people and get updates of how are they doing how has you know a track system in their ceiling and weightless transfers change someone's life day to day. Getting to visit people and have dinner at their houses that are now universal or handicap modified. Everybody's job is a grind at some level. And every once in a while, you need that infusion of the why You know, for you. Why are you doing it? What difference are you making? And I love seeing the difference that our firm makes in those clients' lives.
1: You know, we have talked about this a number of, a, a number of previous podcasts where there's the trial attorney and loves practicing in the courtroom, and then there's the the law from the business leader. And I know you love both. You're you're one of the most data driven and analytical people that I know. How do you essentially balance the two, or, or do you balance the two? I used to view them as
0: something different, but I now actually think they're the exact same thing. It's a persuasion, and in one forum you are persuading people regarding the facts of a case, and whether it be utilizing data or TV or a podcast or a video, this is a persuasive moment, whether it be through opening myself up and showing a level of vulnerability, opening up some of my history to build some credibility. I'm trying to make a persuasive case in the marketing side that we're someone that can be trusted. So I kind of view them the same, I look at the data the same way I look at medical records and fetal monitor strips. You know, you're bound by the data. The data is the mirror that you have to look at. It shows you your strengths, shows you your weaknesses. You've got to be comfortable looking at both. So, you know, I used to think they were different. I've now come to the opinion that they're the same. You are trying to do
1: the same thing, whether it's building your brand or building your case. And in speaking really about, let's say, the the business of law, I know that for Elk and Elk in particular, you know, the culture of the firm has been very, very important, even down to the organizational principles, operations, processes, all those different things, which you seem to to enjoy a great deal. What are the things that you believe that you all do differently from other law firms, like that contributes to the results that you see? I think there's a completeness to
0: our firm. And what I mean by that is I think that if you look, you will find that we have trial attorneys in different areas of the law, that most of them were defense attorneys first or had a long track record of success on the plaintiff side. We collaborate incredibly well. When your medical malpractice case comes in, it's not just me. You know, we present that with our team of nurses, our team of paralegals, and our team of lawyers. And at each decision point, we not only welcome, we demand feedback from others. So that collaboration is unique with our paralegals. I think as of last year, we had the most, the highest percentage of paralegals that had gone through the state certification program in Ohio. We believe that every single person from the person who picks up the phone to the person who takes the verdict in a courtroom serves an equally important role in the handling of that case. And because of that, we really have everybody rowing in the same direction here. And we have enough resources to fight the case till the end. You know what I mean? And that sounds a little cliche, but before I was a plaintiff lawyer, you know, you don't realize you're putting up $250,000, $300,000 in case expenses. You've got to be willing to push all in, so we have the resources as well.
1: And in speaking about, I know you mentioned brand before, but the brand of the firm, I feel like you've, you've essentially branded the firm as a firm that's you know, serious trial attorneys that take on serious cases, catastrophic cases. But you've also branded the firm in a way of saying that you're really not the volume-based firm. How do, how do you really define what what the brand is of the firm, and and also what was that decision process like in terms of deciding really who you're not for? So there's a a long answer to that,
0: actually, and you're a part of that answer. You know, when you and I first met, it was because I wanted your assistance in the transition of our brand. And this firm was founded on a real novel idea by Art and Dave. They started in rural Ohio, trying to bring the city quality services to the rural communities, And they built literally one farm or rural county at a time and then came into the cities and through that long-term commitment that they made they grew this firm organically and then they started to grow the firm talent-wise as well where they started to become the place where other lawyers wanted to come and work myself being one of those so we watched them build the brand that way, literally brick by brick. And they started, and it was made fun of initially, you know, in the courthouse, like Serious Lawyers for Serious Injuries, like they were one of the first firms that I know of in Ohio, at least, that kind of had a tagline. And over time, we've tried different ones, but ultimately we've evolved to using Serious Lawyers for Serious Injuries And we've combined it now with every client every day because we do want people you know to see the firm as having a very personal high level of service where your case is not treated as one of many it's one of one so that's been an evolution it's required art and dave to trust john and i in the process we've had some missteps along the way but We're really kind of comfortable that I keep saying we're transitioning up. And I don't mean that mainly we're not changing this brand. You know, we're building on this brand. We're going to transition it up. And so far, knock on wood, the public has been very responsive to it. It's really opened up a lot of digital opportunities as well.
1: When you say serious lawyers for serious injuries, I mean there's kind of two schools of thought around. You know, you can market down, but you can't always market up. Meaning that you can market yourself as a serious injury law firm, and that not only will stand out to th- those that are perhaps are more discerning and have serious injuries, but that will also appeal to everybody who wants to work with a great trial attorney. Versus saying we're here for everyone, we take on all types of cases. I know that you guys are very discerning in the cases that you take on but also i think from my experience you you have a very unique process when you are turning away a case we do so you know we promise every
0: single person who calls us that they're going to get an answer and in the medical malpractice field in particular nine out of ten of those people the answer is no but it's our sincere hope that it takes away that worry frustration that uncertainty can sometimes create. So, our promise when someone calls is we promise a singular thing, and that's that we will at some point sit down with you and give you an honest, unfiltered answer as to what happened, what should have happened, and if there was a mistake, what your legal rights are. So, you know, turnbacks are part of our business, and I think it's a valuable part of our business. But you have to make certain that person walks away, that you're telling no, trusting you. And I don't mean they don't get a second opinion. Everyone should get a second opinion in life if they feel they need it. But when you're rejecting 90% of the people who are calling for your help, you have to explain to them, we're not rejecting you, we're advising you. And this is our professional opinion. This is the work we've done. And... So they don't turn you off for the next case or their friend's next case. So turnbacks you know, are a very delicate but important part of our you know, business. And I think I consider it a success. If someone feels their case has been looked at fairly and thoroughly by a credible source and they now know it's not a case, I consider that to be a
1: successful outcome. And on the notion of brand, I know you guys are very active in your community, very, very well loved all across the state of Ohio. But, you know, on one hand, we talk about being very data driven. I know you're very analytical, but a lot of the aspects of marketing that you, you all have done over the years, including working with a number of professional sports teams, a lot of community events, many of those things at times are not always directly trackable. So I'd love for you to just to speak to not only some of the things that you've done to, to really build the Elk & Elk brand, but just also why you've done it. Why that approach? so art and dave built
0: brand recall like to a level that no one had seen in our state at least before i've kind of been pushing hard for credibility and our business has a natural response that it generates from people you know lawyer jokes exist because people like to make fun of our profession so for us to build that credibility for us to find a way for people to know how active are we what kind of cases do we handle? How discerning are we? What's our level of professionalism? So finding ways to get that out, whether it be through some of the sports marketing, whether it be through changing and or tweaking the message or putting in different places has been a huge focus. And I'll tell you, like sometimes you wonder what your brand is, and then something you don't even intend slaps you in the face. And this year, I've started to be in some of the live ads with art and the theory being that we want to transition this very gradually. Well, you would have thought that a great unsolved crime had occurred during the first Cincinnati Reds game. People blew up our social media and our phone lines wondering what happened to Dave and rumors to the point where we actually had to put out on social media. No, this is our transition. Dave is fine. Kind of a proof of life photo of Dave. So people knew that, you know, we had not like rested Dave off the camera against his will. And it became kind of a funny thing within here. But what an incredible tribute to them too. Like you wonder, are people paying attention? Well, I can tell you, First night, first game that that thing ran, we had hundreds of inquiries, sincere inquiries, like, is he okay? Oh, no, did something happen? And, and as I said to Dave, I go, if you wonder how much you mean to your community, I go, people took time to make sure that, they, that Dave was okay. And I assure you, Dave is fine. Dave has no intention of not... Handling cases going forward, we're just as you and I talked the first time we met several years back. This is kind of the very slow, gradual
1: transition. And can you speak to because I, I know there's going to be people that are listening and, and they hear about this type of response, but could you speak to? I know you mentioned brand recall, but the things that you know really the firm has done over the last you know twenty plus years to really establish that level of brand recall, like what have been like some of the specific things that you've done, not only in the communities, but even with the sports teams but as a brand, because this was no overnight success, right? It took years and years and years to uh, to get it to this point.
0: Yeah, this is, no, this is a 35 year building process. And it started on the back covers of phone books and not just one phone book, but it ultimately became 88 different you know, counties, phone books. Then gradually on TV, obviously then everybody was forced into the digital space and then we decided how do we let people in which is i think one of the brand mistakes people make you're you you do not want to waste your brand moment so you want to yell call me yell your phone number your call to action ads what we found is by opening the doors and letting people get to know wow we have a cleveland clinic cardiothoracic nurse That works for us for our cardiac cases. We have a nurse that has her master's, you know, in fetal monitoring. These are our 18 lawyers that handle the trials and look at how many they've done. And then these are the causes that matter to us. And, you know, we clearly have an interest and a love of sports. You've known me long enough now to know that I am a sports fanatic is an understatement of, you know, how much I love, you know, our local teams. For us, that was also a chance to put a business that's not usually there in a place where people cheer in a place where people have a fondness, you know, and they see that we have something in common. So we've done those types of things in the office. We stopped as an office having just the four of us pick the charities. And we said, we will support every employee's charity. So every employee, we will match the charity of their cause that they donate to. And if they don't have the money to donate to that cause and they donate ours, we will match dollars for hours or ours for hours. We want the people here to be part of the community. We want the community to know that they matter to us. We are visible. We are active. With every one of our marketing decisions, we try to say what cause is this meaningful to you? Like with the Columbus Blue Jackets, we sponsor the military honoree for every home game and they hadn't done it before. But we don't just want to be like, hey, we're fans. We want to say, we're fans. This is something important to the Blue Jackets that's also important to us. We want people to see us here so that they can celebrate and support this cause with us. With the Browns, we do the USO every year. And then we do other community things, you know, as well. But we always try to find something that gives us a chance to let people get to know us. And then see that we really are part of this community,
1: just a small business. How how have you seen some of these partnerships really help the brand? It's pretty interesting. The sports
0: partnerships, one, they see us in a light that's different. You know, we're not with other daytime or late night advertisers. You know, you're with major hospital systems, energy companies, insurance companies. So they're seeing you in a forum with definitely a higher level of marketers. But we have seen the recall for us off the charts. You know, we do outside testing for what is our brand lift within every season and we demand that there be an outside company a lot of times people use dr wakefield and baylor is one of the common ones and what we find is his theory of can you be recalled across multiple platforms to create a brand association so is there an association and is it positive what we have found is because we're the local person you're not Budweiser or some of those other companies, our brand recall goes off the chart. It is a local team and we are a local business. And obviously the NFL, Major League Baseball are not easy places to market. It's not a a low spend, but we have seen a measurable lift that is honestly, absurdly high for us And we think that's because we are one of the very few local people marketing on that platform.
1: I know you mentioned also the aspect of kind of like brand recall versus credibility. How do you essentially differentiate the two and what what have been some of the lessons that you've learned? So recall without credibility serves no purpose.
0: You know, someone knowing our name, but not having a level of trust or interest in our brand serves no purpose. They're not going to call. You know, at the core of this is a legal relationship. It's, you know, an attorney-client privilege, and that requires trust. So for people to contact our firm, they're putting probably one of their biggest problems in their life in our hands, or at least considering us for that. So I think recall is great. You have to have it but what are they recalling? Are they recalling a phone number? No one needs a phone number anymore. I mean, just Siri dials it for you. What are they recalling an address or your name? They need to actually have a positive association with your brand when they recall it,
1: or it is pointless as it pertains to being a legal professional service. When it comes to building your firm's brand, it's important to realize that your brand already exists, whether it's by default or by design. Jay knows this very well. I asked him to elaborate on his decision-making process when it comes to the long-term marketing strategies that have established Elk & Elk as the respected brand and market leader they are today.
0: And you see it with some of those lead generation companies or people that pay-per-click certain terms, and that's unsustainable. I mean, you are measuring an ROI that is so transactional and finite that it can't survive if you can build a brand that will lift all of those transactional approaches that you make so instead of starting at the goal line you get to start at the 10 yard line or the 50 yard line you know what i mean the better your brand the shorter you have to go to get a positive roi so I get it. It's expensive. Look, a sports partnership is almost worthless the first year. You cannot build brand association in a year. You have to sustain it. It does require you look over the horizon and say, where do I want to be in three or five years? You know. Now, you can't stay down a fool's course and not look at data and be stubborn about the mistakes you make because you're going to make them. We've made mistakes countless times. But the one thing that you own is your brand. And, you know, my dad, you know, I'm James Michael Kelly, the third. And, you know, I tell the story often that it was the most embarrassing thing in elementary school that teachers, when they would take attendance the first day, would add an accent to the third and make fun of it. Classmates would laugh. But what I learned from my dad is your name is your brand, and the pride in your name. And obviously, I feel more because it's my dad's, my grandfather's, now my sons. You can't put something above the value of your name, and that's the firm brand. So just like the NFL will say, it's all about the shield, or a person will say, my reputation's my everything. Your brand is your reputation, and it will pay you back exponentially, the highest ROI you can ever imagine. And without it, you're just gonna waste a lot of money.
1: We've long since said, you know, reputation precedes revenue, right? Things like trust is, builds demand. What have been some of the, the mistakes that you feel that many law firms make, just when it comes to really building up the practice and, and making sure that there's predictability and consistency? I think trying to rush it because
0: mistakes can be catastrophic. And I think that what we see sometimes is we see individuals who say, we're going to go on TV, we're going to do a campaign. Well, even if the campaign works, do you have the people to answer the phone? Do you have the staff to acquire and the resources to acquire the records? Do you have the qualified attorneys and the funding, you know, to advance the case and deliver a high quality service? So we see people jump in head first sometimes and then not realizing that it's not just about making the phone ring. It's then about delivering service. Well, in this day and age, it doesn't take a whole lot of time to get a series of bad Google reviews if you're not delivering or you know, missing deadlines. So we see people wanting to jump in at the end, you know what I mean, and start to broadcast their brand. You've got to build your brand first. And what I would tell you is, and I think I said this once to you before, the biggest mistake you will make is not putting money back into the business when you have it. Everybody talks about, I'm going to grow, I'm going to grow, I'm going to grow. But when you settle that first big case, or you have that first great year, are you going to put that money in your account for retirement? Or are you going to put that money in your business to grow your brand? And that's the moment where I think the proverbial rubber hits the road and you see what someone's made. Are they a business leader who is going to grow a business or are they a fantastic lawyer who had a great result, you know, and wants security and contentment? This is a risky business. You know what I mean? This is a very risky business. But at the end of the day, you've got to bet on yourself. You've got to bet on your business. And you got to reinvest, reinvest, reinvest.
1: Over the past few years, Elk & Elk has been undergoing a major transition. I asked Jay to speak to that and give us more insight into the experience of being past the torch at his firm. So a
0: lot of plaintiff's firms don't survive generation to generation. And if they do, it tends to be from family member to family member. You know, so there's almost a logic or a forced survival or an expiration date. Well, we thought that Art and Dave had done such a great job building the brand that John and I sat down with them. And this has been almost a 10-year process and started to have the conversations about if we take this over, how do we transition it? And we're not just transitioning a name. We're transitioning a brand that has two people's faces involved in it. And as I told you the story about Dave... Dave doesn't show up in an ad, and people are sending out APBs, like trying to find out what happened to Dave. So that's part of the every client every day. So you know, over the last, I think now it's five years, we've been in a very formal, planned, gradual transition. And whether it be the end of our commercials, with the every client every day graphic, instead of them, It's to get the public used to not seeing them at the end. It's to make the brand bigger and beyond just their faces. And I don't mean that, I don't like to use the word just because those two mean the world to me, but the brand has to be bigger than the individual. And, you know, as I sat down with you, God, I think it's five years ago now, when I approached you, it was, I need help and I need somebody who doesn't know our firm, someone who is in the legal space, to help us concisely start to deliver these gradual, you know, transition messages. And, you know, as you and I have joked in the past, I wasn't willing to do it by phone. I wanted to sit down. I wanted to see you. I wanted to meet you. You know, because to me, I'm trusting you to assist us in the single most valuable thing that we have which is, you know, kind of being the caretaker of this brand. So, you know, we did press releases, we did interviews in some of the trade journals, and we have started to gradually change messages digitally and now on television so that people know that this is, you know, going back to the transition up, this isn't a, we're swapping out two people. This is Art and Dave picked Jay and John because they've been here for so long, because they've helped build this firm. And this is a natural growth of this family business into you know, a large statewide successful law firm. So it's been it's been awesome. I've told you I've had challenges along the way. Firm culture has changed dramatically in the 19 years I've been here. No time has been better for this firm's culture, I don't think, than COVID. You know, it's one of those things where part of the place you have to sell your brand and build your brand and transition your brand is in your own building. People have to start to trust myself and John instead of Art and Dave or in addition to them. People have to start to understand what does this transition mean and how does it affect the culture? And the adversity of COVID gave such a nice opportunity for us to build trust that, listen, we're not letting anyone go. No one's taking a pay cut. We're going to advance through this. We're going to communicate with a ton of transparency, both about the challenges and the opportunities. This has been the greatest cultural shift within our office and everybody feels and that they're part of it. You know, I end every either video meeting or memo with protect the lodge. And cause I make fun of the elk lodge reference within here. And I'm like, you know, I want everyone vested. I want them to know we're in this together as a team and that this firm has their back and they've got to protect this firm. It's been fantastic. You know and I mean, I, I wish it didn't happen this way, but I, I do think that you need adversity to truly make a sea change. And this one has been a wonderful opportunity for us to advance internally. I'm ready for it to be over now, but (laughs) so we can start traveling again.
1: Well, I I do commend you. I mean, just from the standpoint of, you know, you've got You know, for the last 30 plus years, you know, Dave and Art, we were talking about building reputation and building a brand. I mean, these are some of the most recognizable figures in the state of Ohio, like even even Art's hair alone. And to not only honor the legacy that was built and, and keep the tradition and keep the values, but also kind of shift the firm into a more modern approach and kind of evolve the firm, as you will, while also respecting everything that came before it is, you know, undoubtedly a challenge in and of itself. It just requires a tremendous amount of care and even just a respect for the community, right? That you built such a strong relationship with.
0: It is, if for me to say that I genuinely respect and love Art and Dave would be a dramatic understatement. And the one thing that I wish that everybody had the opportunity would be to get to know them because the individuals they are, are a hundred times more impressive. Than the fantastic lawyers and businessmen that they are and they take such pride in where we've taken this firm too that it's always flattering we've talked about it but two years ago probably the largest medical case in ohio occurred at least in the modern era and there were 87 law firms that had shared the 600 or so patients and the fact that those law firms in that court selected our firm to lead that case locally was something that brought obviously pride for me but you could see it in them as well like that's the other part of brand like when you build it the pride and the satisfaction when you see that the public starts to see your brand the way you feel about your brand and for the legal community you know to select us to run something that large It was incredibly flattering. And I could not have been happier than to come back and say, look what you guys built. And I mean, look at the opportunities you gave us. When John and I are lucky. We get to start with the head start that they gave us. And Jay, how do you
1: define success?
0: I think success is very personal. I think in my personal life, it is 100% the happiness of my kids and my wife. I mean, there's no secret to that. I will talk about my kids and my wife as much as anybody will let me. As it pertains to the business, the firm as a whole, I want our firm to be seen as a trusted source within the legal community, the regular community, and most importantly, by our clients. And for me personally, within that space, I want my clients to feel like they made the right decision when they hired me so it's nothing super romantic nothing super crazy but when i'm gone i hope people think i left it better than i found it
1: now jay allegedly there's this rumor that you're the firm jokester and i wanted to ask you why do you feel it's important to just still maintain a level of lightness and positivity at the office you know through all times you know good times difficult times adversity and so on This job does not lack pressure. There's deadlines.
0: Every single case has an opponent. Every single case runs into some level of challenges. I think being able to have fun does help the ultimate bottom line and advance the case. And I think it takes a pressure out and brings a calmness. You know, I quote my father, who my dad was probably the best business person and just advice source I had in my life, and no, he wasn't someone who went to college or anything of the sort, but he used to always say the calmest person in the fight will always win. And he said, I don't care what the fight's about, but you got to stay calm. So I think by lightening the mood, I think by having people stay calm, not letting the pressure build, it allows you the best opportunity to win whatever battle you're in.
1: And if you could give a piece of advice to those that are listening to this podcast that say that they, they admire the success that, you know, that you've really built upon in the, in the firm and they're not quite there yet, or they admire the brand that you built, what have you, what, what would that advice be to them? I would say
0: embrace failure as what it really is, which is a learning opportunity. And I think that so many people are so afraid to make a decision and fail that they become paralyzed. If you want to build a brand, start to build it, but make sure it reflects who you are and be honest with yourself. And if you make a mistake, pick yourself up, learn from it and move forward because nobody ever has gotten there without making mistakes and failing along the way. But that fear of failure, and that might go back, Michael, even to that, decision of, will you invest your money? The decision to not invest your money back in your business is, is fear of failing. If you believe your business is going to be successful, you'd have no, no hesitation. You can't be afraid to fail and lose the stigma of the word fail, because honestly, that's the path to success. So take it and don't let anybody anywhere stop you, you
1: know, and easy advice to give, but just chase your goal. And Jay, as we come to a close, this being the the game-changing attorney podcast, what does being a game-changer mean to you?
0: To me, being a game-changing attorney means that you are delivering something that is exceptional within your arena. For us, we believe everything comes down to do we deliver exceptional legal service to our clients? so if you want to change the game deliver the best legal service and then building the brand is how do you let the world know but the first step the condition precedent is be exceptional
1: i want to give a huge thank you to jay kelly for taking the time to speak with us today you know what particularly resonated for me was when jay mentioned that he sees business and law as focusing on the same thing persuasion And when it comes to marketing, Jay believes that brand recall without brand credibility is simply not enough. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney podcast with me, Michael Mogul. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could share the podcast with at least one other ambitious law firm owner who you believe would benefit. And you know what? Maybe more than one. For more information on our interview with Jay Kelly, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit gamechangingattorney.com. And join us next time when we'll be speaking to organizational psychologist and best-selling author Ben Hardy about how and why people can change, the mindset needed to transform yourself, and the benefits of staying hyper-focused on the future you want to create. Uncertainty is essential because your future, you know, if you're pursuing big goals or if you're pursuing a big future, obviously between you and there is uncertainty because you've never actually done it. But You have to get good with that because that's where freedom is. You either have uncertainty and freedom or you have certainty and no options. That's next time on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast.